and welcome to Halfwits and Failed Crits. I'm your Game Master, Jonathan, and today I'm all alone in our star sector since this will be our first faction turn for Children of the Spine. The faction turn is a tool from Stars Without Number that helps me continue to shape the world in which we play in unexpected ways by playing a sort of game of risk with the major factions that you heard about in our world building episode. If you chose to skip over that, you at least have heard of the Principality of Vatir from Episode 1, The Lights in the Sky are Stars. Our players are currently in their care and trying to get a grant from them so that they can leave the planet Fornhagi. So, how does the faction turn work? First, we create the factions and determine their influence on the sector, and I've created eight factions. They are the Tahide League, the Naloyan Immaculate Regency, the Astolian Technocracy, the Chivrak Warlords, the Principality of Vatir, the Tarobican Neucratic Federation, the Sovereignties of Quetzalonia, and a secret eighth faction. That last one will not really be participating in the faction turn, but I'll give updates on them during the faction turns that you might not get in the main campaign. Now that we have factions, I'll give them a faction tag and a faction goal. Tags describe how the faction is either viewed by the sector or how they view themselves, and help us give them relatable goals during the faction turn. I'll go over what each faction got during their turns. So let's actually get to the faction turn now. First we determine how much money the faction receives at the start of their turn. This is determined by three scores that each faction has between force, cunning, and wealth. The formula for determining how much money, known as fat creds, they receive is their wealth rating divided by two and rounded up, plus the combination of their force and cunning ratings divided by four and rounded down. For example, let's look at a faction who has a score of force two, cunning two, and wealth two. Using the formula, we divide their wealth of two by two and round up. Two over two is one, so they earn one fat cred just from their wealth. Now we'll add their force two and their cunning two together and get four, 4 divided by 4 is 1, so they gain 1 fat cred from their force and cunning ratings as well. Now we add those together, and a faction with force 2, cunning 2, wealth 2 earns 2 fat creds every faction turn. Next, the factions get a chance to decide if they want to level up their force, cunning, or wealth ratings using experience points. Factions get experience points from completing goals, and since none of our factions have completed a goal yet, we're going to skip this step. Next, we review the cost of assets that a faction has. If they can't pay for an asset, then the asset can't be used. But I'm actually going to ignore this rule. I'm using the faction turn mostly for flavor, so I want to see some big things happening in the sector kind of fast. And the faction turn is already a very slow process, as you'll see in a few. I'm here for a fun time, not to take an accounting class. Lastly, our faction will take one of the following actions per turn. They can expand their influence, change their homeworld, buy, sell, repair, refit, or use an asset, attack a faction, or seize a planet. We'll cover the way that these work as we use them. So enough of the rules, let's get to the actual turn. You can look in this episode's show notes for a link to our sector map so you can follow along at home. So we need to decide which faction goes first by rolling a d8 and then going down the list. I'm going to use the same order that I listed in the factions earlier. So we're going to roll that d8, and that's a 2. So we're going to start with the Nuloyan Immaculate Regency. This faction is orange on our map, if you're following back at home, and located at N3 on the sector map. 
Their homeworld is Krilovstrana, and the primary species there are the Noloyans. You may recognize the name Krilov from our prologue games. Bobby played a Noloyan politician named Alexander Sasha Korovin, and his father was Krilov Korovin. Whatever they were up to in the prologue seemed to have worked, since Krilov has a planet named after him and is the homeworld of a major faction. This faction has a tag eugenics cult. This gives them the asset Gengineered Slaves. Gengineered Slaves can be created as either military or special forces units that give an extra 1d10 to attacks that they are a part of, regardless of the type of attack being performed. We'll go over what military and special forces units means as we end up using them. The goal of the Noloyan Immaculate Regency is to get inside enemy territory. They need to have a number of stealth assets equal to their cunning score inside of enemy factions. If they complete this, they get two experience points. This might be specifically difficult for them, considering how far away they are from every other faction. The only close faction is the Tahide League, four hexes away at K-12. So let's get them some money. The Noloyan Immaculate Regency has a wealth of five, we divide that by two, and Roundup gives them three fat creds. They have a force of three and a cunning of six, so that's nine divided by four, rounded down is two. So they earn five fat creds each turn. Later faction turns, I'll spare you the math, until those numbers change. So we'll add that five credits that they just earned to the four credits that I started them out with. I started each faction with a number of credits to help this thing kind of get rolling. And lastly, I also gave a bunch of the factions some starting assets, and these guys got the party machine asset, which is described as political blocks that are firmly in control of the faction. This asset generates one fat cred per turn, so we're going to add that to our total, and the Noloyans have 9 credits to spend this turn. So let's get spending them. So if their goal is to get stealth assets to Tahide League K-12, we're going to need people and a way to ship them. We need our transport to be stealthy, so we're going to go with the covert shipping asset. Covert shipping costs 8 fat creds to buy and can support special forces units. Also part of the starting assets that I gave the Noloyans is they have one military engineered slave unit, one special forces engineered slave unit, and a zealot force asset unit. So let's fill our new covert shipping asset with special forces engineered slaves, and next turn we'll send them on their way to K-12. Next up we have the Estolian Technocracy. This faction is yellow on our map and is in three different locations, E3, N2, and O5. Their homeworld, Estolia, is in E3, and the primary species of the faction is the Weircene. Luis played a Weircene named Casey Blake Caldwell, or Casey Nova, in the prologue. This faction has the tag Technical Expertise, meaning any planet where they have a base of influence can be used at tech level 4, as long as the planet has 10,000 people that are working for the Estolian technocracy, and they can also create starships there. The goal of the Estolian Technocracy is to have an intelligence coup. They need to destroy a number of cunning assets of a rival faction equal to their cunning rating, which is 5. I'm going to make mention of the wording choice here of rival when the Noloyans had something that said enemy. I'm going to try and treat that literally for any of the goals. So the Estolian Technocracy will have rivalry with whichever group we're going to do this intelligence coup on. The Noloyans are enemies of whoever they're invading. So let's get these guys some money. They have a wealth of six, so they get three fat creds. Their force is three, and their cunning is five, so they get two fat creds for those scores. 
meaning they get five fat creds each faction turn. And I started these guys out with four fat creds, so they have a total of nine now. Again, proximity is coming into play for this faction goal, so their closest neighbors and what we're going to consider their rivals are the Principality of Vatir at 07. Since we're looking to destroy some cunning assets, let's pick a planet from the 07 system that makes the most sense to have cunning assets. If we look at sector designation 07-01-56, Jakulsa, it has the whole it has the tags Holy War and Xenophiles. So it doesn't really sound ripe for cunning assets to me. Um, and in case you did miss it on the world building episode as well, the sector designations that I'm going to be calling out during this are broken up into three different parts. 07 is their location on our hex map. 01 is the distance that planet is from the star. And 56 is a seed number that I used when I generated the faction tags for all the worlds. So this was the 56 faction tag that I had generated. I just thought it would be cool to add it in there. There's no real purpose to have it. So you might also remember that Jakulsa is the planet that Mary's prologue character, Tira the Veil Soul's daughter, had a friend on who actually died during this holy war that's kind of ongoing. There's also 07-02-03 Narfasker, which has the tags Out of Contact and Mandarinate. I don't think an out-of-touch government will have worthwhile cunning assets either. So we'll move on to lastly 07-03-08, which is Farnhagi. So that's going to be interesting for a few reasons. First, we'll start with the kind of easy stuff. Their tags are seismic instability and local tech. Local tech sounds like a great place where a rival faction would store some cunning assets. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting one is that Farnhagi is where our player characters currently are in the game. So this is definitely where we're going to end up sending people because this is going to be a really great example of how the faction turn immediately impacts our game. And this wasn't something like I was planning for, so it's it's exciting for me to walk through these and see, oh, look, we're doing something where the players are. So if we're going to send people here, we've got two assets that this faction already owns called the Heavy Drop Asset, and that allows them to move any non-Starship asset one hex for one fact cred. And we have a Counterintelligence Asset that can make Cunning vs. Cunning attacks so we'll load up our heavy drop with counter intel units and pay the one fat cred to get them halfway to Farnhagi. At the end of the turn, the Estolian Technocracy has eight fat creds left, and good luck to our players, because faction attacks are incoming really early in the game. I'm excited for that. Next up, we have the Chivrak Warlords, which have one star system in A3, and they are represented by the green color on our map. This faction's homeworld is Chirund, and their primary species is the Sudeg. Laura's current character, Kamala, the Lotus Magar, is a Sudeg, though she is from Kabez, which is two orbits away from Chirund. This faction has the tag Savage. Once per faction turn, they can roll an extra die when defending a tech level zero asset. Their goal is Blood of the Enemy, which means they need to inflict damage to an enemy faction equal to their force, cunning, and wealth ratings combined. So they need to inflict eight damage, and since they are surrounded by the Principality of Vatir, that's who they're going to view as their enemy. So let's get them some money. They have a wealth rating of 3 divided by 2 is 1.5. Rounded up is 2 fat creds. 
Their force plus cunning is 4 plus 1, which equals 5, divided by 4, rounded down is 1 fat cred. So they gain 3 fat credits every turn. I started them with 3 fat creds as well, so they have a total of 6. To accomplish their goal, we're going to have to get them some forces over to the B2 system owned by the Principality of Vitir. The Chirun people have control over an unnamed minor faction that is keeping the planet Kabez Shackled, which is one of the only high-tech factions in the Chivrak Warlords. They are going to create a smuggler starship asset from the scrap belts that orbit the A3 system for two fat creds. Since they built this asset, we can't really start them on their way yet, so their turn's going to end with four fat creds remaining. Next up, we have the Principality of Atir. Their homeworld is Ket, which is located in the B2 system, and their primary species are the Ketlings. Kylie is currently playing a Ketling, Astrid Folstad, and Mary's prologue character mentioned earlier was also a Ketling. This faction has the tag Preceptor Archive, which lets them purchase high-level tech assets for one fat cred less than normal. They also get the ability Teach Planetary Population, which costs them two fat creds and lets them teach any planet enough to make them a tech level 4 for the faction's purposes. They do have to roll 1d12 and get a 12 for this to work though, so it probably won't be common. I gave them the goal to expand their influence, which means they need to get a base of influence asset on a new planet. As we discussed in the campaign already, the Principality of Vatir is only interested in gaining new information. The two factions nearby are the Astolian Technocracy, which is their rival in intelligence, so most of their planets probably are pretty well discovered already. But the Chivrak Warlords are low-tech savages, and therefore probably have tons of new things to discover in their star system. We'll have the Principality focus on getting a base of influence there. Looking at the planets for the Chivrak Warlords, there is one, which is A3-02-23, Tates. It seems like the most interesting, since they have the tags Abandoned Colony and Dying Race. Vatir would definitely want to study a race that's about to die, and abandoned sites would lead to many new discoveries, kind of like exploring ruins. Never mind all of that, it's also going to be really easy to get the base of influence there because there's going to be very little contest over that land as well. So let's get them some money to do this. Their wealth rating is 4, so they get 2 fat creds. Their force plus cunning is 1 plus 7, so 8 divided by 4 is 2 fat creds. I started them off with 3, so that's a total of 7 for this turn. One of the assets already established by the faction is the Covert Transit Net which allows them to move special forces up to three hexes away. Conveniently, Tate's is only two hexes away. The special forces asset that they start with are Cyber Ninjas. The Cyber Ninjas are outfitted with the latest impersonal cyberware that can avoid all but the most careful scans. With them, the Principality should have no problem getting in and finding a good place to set up their base of influence next turn. They didn't need to spend any credits this turn, so they'll end with seven credits for next time. Next is the Taro Beacon Nucratic Federation. Their homeworld is Efidazaki, and their primary species are the Tarogian and the Bikaku. They have two separate locations, one at S7 and another one at A11, and they're represented by the dark blue color on our map. I forgot to mention it earlier, the Principality of Vatir is represented by the light blue or cyan color on our map. So, Laura played the Tarogian named Tisiphone Halion Xanthopolis, or Tantalus, in the prologue, and Efidazaki is home to the Psychic Academy that the group visited and picked up Professor Flintwa from in the prologue as well. Speaking of that, their faction tag is Psychic Academy, 
meaning that this faction can provide psychic training to qualified psychics, and they can also use their power to force any faction to re-roll any d10 once per turn. And this can be on other factions' turns. It doesn't have to be on their turn explicitly. So that's pretty powerful. Their goal is planetary seizure, and they need to take control of a planet and become its legitimate government. The planet S7-03-43, Kuzopolis, has received orders from Ephidazaki to take control of S9-02-49, Domitet, from the Tahide League. Domitet has the tags Out of Contact and Psionic Worship. This makes them not just an easy target, since the League doesn't have contact with them, but a willing target, because they worship Psionics. This will be a big power grab for the Newocracy, since the difficulty of this task is normally very high, and yields experience equal to half the opposing factions, force, cunning, and wealth ratings combined, meaning the Newocracy could receive a whopping 7 experience from this goal. If this succeeds, the Newocracy could become a rising star in massive power in our sector very quickly. So, let's get them some money. This faction has a wealth of 5, meaning they get 3 fat creds, and their combined force and cunning ratings are equal to 10, divided by 4, rounded down is 2 fat credits. And I gave them 4 fat creds to start, so they have a total of 9 fat creds. The Nuocracy also starts with the Covert Shipping Asset and the Seductresses Asset. Seductresses, in this case, will consider to be high-level psychics who normally use their abilities for entertainment purposes. Specifically because the planet they're going to be trying to take over it ha- worships psychics. So once those units are placed, we're going to end up sneaking some psychic assassins in to complete the takeover later. The reason we're sending them later rather than now is the Seductresses asset can reveal all stealth assets on a planet. So if the Tahide League was hiding any high-tech assets on Domitet, we would find out before we send in the big guns. Since Covert Shipping can get to the planet in one turn, that's going to be our action. The Seductresses have landed, and we'll see what havoc they're able to stir up soon enough. They spent nothing this turn and have 9 fat creds remaining. Next up are the Sovereignties of Quetzalonia. Their homeworld is Barbalil, and their major species are the Oenemo and Tihari. Their color on the map is the pinkish color that we have. Kylie's prologue character, Reina Nadia Olaya Sastra, or Madame Nas, and Luis's current character, Mohan Weyu, are both Tihari. And Barbalil was one of the places that we visited in the prologue. In its orbit, we met the Scavenger and gained the ally Dr. M from Barbalil. Their faction tag is Imperialist, meaning they get to roll an extra d10 during seize planet actions. Their goal is Military Conquest. This means that they need to destroy a number of force assets equal to their force rating, which is 8. So we're going to have to pick whichever sector they're going to try and conquest based on how many force assets they could possibly have at a time. And looking at our map, it looks like this would be the Tahide League. And the closest controlled Tahide League star system is G11. This system contains planets Katabe, Duhat, Pazakia, and Guratif, all of which are equally suited to be targets for an attack. Katabe is the least influential to our story so far, but that hardly fe- seems fair for me to choose them just because of that. Pazakia is not yet a part of our current campaign, but was a big part of the prologue. Duhat and Guratif are homeworlds of the current characters, played by Mary and Bobby, respectively. I think I'm just going to roll to see what happens. I'm going to roll a d4 and see who Barbalil is interested in attacking. Okay, the result is a 3. 
So the third orbital around G11 is Pazakia. Woof. Okay, so we're going from what could have been a small-scale attack to an immediate large-scale attack right away. Pazakia, for those who may have skipped the prologue, is a local tech and megacore planet. Think of the planet as Coruscant from Star Wars, but instead of kind of like grungy and stuff, it's filled with like astounding tech and like big entrepreneurial companies and stuff like that. And not only that, Pazakia is the homeworld of the Tawhide League. This will have massive consequences for them as a faction if they lose this homeworld, as you'll find out during their turn coming up. So let's get the Sovereignty some money. Their wealth is 3, so they get 2 fact creds. Their force and cunning combined is 8 plus 4, which is 12. So divide that by 4, we get 3. So in total, they get 5 fact creds earned this turn. They also started with 5 fact creds, so they have 10 total right now. One of the assets that they will definitely be sending to this apparently massive war is their capital fleet. And it costs them two fat credits per turn just to have this asset. I know I said I wasn't going to do the accounting type stuff, but I figured since this asset's so powerful that it comes with its own additional cost that it's probably worthwhile to keep that additional cost present in the game. So it costs them two fat creds just to have this asset. So they're going to activate the Capital Fleet's ability to move three hexes towards Pazakia, which won't get them all the way there, but will place them just one hex away in F12. Shit is going to go down there next turn, and it's going to be really interesting. So they're ending their turn with eight Fat Creds remaining. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Just wanted to jump in quick to invite you all to join our Discord community. If you want to hang out with us and other fans, go to bit.ly slash failed crits. That's bit.ly slash failed crits, all lowercase. You can also find the normal discord.gg link in all of our show notes. Looking forward to seeing some of you there. And now, back to the show. Next in the order is our secret faction. In time, we'll reveal more about this faction, but for the time being, I'll give you guys this information. In case you don't remember, we're using Doomsday Clocks to represent major events within the campaign. Each major and minor faction has their own Doomsday Clock, and they represent the faction's awareness, like, or dislike to any of our player characters. When a minor faction hits midnight, it'll trigger something that would be akin to like a boss battle for our players. If a major faction hits midnight, it'll signal the end of the campaign, or at least this portion of the campaign if we ever decide to like come back to this Children of the Spine game after we move on to some other game. And yeah, that's kind of the level of severity I want to give a major faction hitting their doomsday. So most clocks are going to be starting at 1 o'clock, since they have never met the player characters. The Principality of Vatir and the Undernaut Service Corp are going to start at 2, because the player characters are already on their radar and directly interacted with them. Normally, I wouldn't have a major faction move up and notice with a minor faction, because normally a minor faction's notice of the player characters is somewhat distant from the major faction. But in this case, the Undernaut Service Corps saved them, saved our player characters from this island that they were on, and the Principality of Vatir is so into knowledge and and bureaucracy and stuff like that that there's no way that they wouldn't be aware of our players' presence. And also, it's just such a strange thing that happened where they 
found these children on an island-like planet that was surrounding something star-like, but absolutely not a star that kind of appeared out of nowhere in the middle of this great void that they've never really found anything in before. So there's no way that that isn't on the major faction's radar. So now our secret faction, they're going to be starting at 4 o'clock. It took me a while to decide that because it's a little bit wild that it's a third of a way to midnight already, but I think it makes sense. So our secret faction is acutely aware of the presence of our players. This clock will probably rarely move, and I'm not even sure I'm going to give them minor factions like the other major factions have. We'll see. My plan for this major faction doomsday is that it will represent the complete end of the campaign as we know it. So while other major factions will provide an ending to the campaign or season that we could return to, this doomsday will likely end the sector and its clock. We're going to have it roll over between major doomsday scenarios. So say one faction hits their doomsday, we go back to a D&D-like game or maybe some Powered by the Apocalypse game or something. By the time we come back to Stars Without Number, the doomsday clock for this secret faction will still be there, exactly intact as how it was before, regardless of if we're playing with the same characters. So, who knows, I might change my mind on some of that as we go on, but I think this will be exciting. This faction has no need for fat credits, by the way. Lastly, we have the Tawhide League, who apparently is about to get beat up next turn. Their homeworld is Pazakia, and their primary species are the Mahalians, which Bobby and Mary are currently playing as John Cole and Nadia Kadir, and they're represented by the red color on our map. This faction tag is deep-rooted, meaning that they were the first major faction in the sector. Their effect is that they get to roll an extra d10 whenever they defend their assets. If they lose their homeworld, though, they lose this faction tag forever. They can't regain it. With Pazakia about to be under attack from Barbalo's capital fleet, we may see a major power shift in this sector very soon. Anyways, the Tawhide League's goal is to be a peaceable kingdom, which means they can't issue an attack for four turns, which is going to be tough considering they're about to go into war. Uh, if they succeed, they're going to get four experience from this. So let's get the money to defend themselves from the impending doom. Their wealth is 5, so they get 3 fat creds. Their force and cunning combined is 5 plus 5, which is 10, divided by 4, rounded down, is 2 fat credits. They let them start with 5 fat creds as well, and they have the party machine asset, so they automatically gain another fat cred. This makes their total 11 fat creds for the turn. Since they can't take the attack action, this narrows down their turns quite a bit. I have a feeling they're going to need as many fat creds as they possibly can to produce assets to defend and counter this Barbalil capital fleet invasion. So we're going to have them activate an asset that they have called Harvesters. Harvesters gather natural resources from the world and the faction can gain one fat cred if they roll a, a d6 and the result is a three or higher. So let's roll that now. And that result was a four. So they do get their one fat cred, so that's going to bring their total up to 12, and that's what they're going to need to try and fight the incoming invasion next turn. Good luck, Tawhide League. Well, that's it for our first faction turn of the campaign. Hopefully, I was able to make something very technical sound at least a little bit interesting. Truth be told, I've actually recorded this twice already. The first time it was really dreadful because I was learning as I went and I wasn't super enthusiastic about it, so I didn't like that I wanted to record it. 
The second time I re-recorded it, I did this all in one shot and got to the end and hit play to start editing and something was up with my computer because the mic was stuttering the entire time. So all of that was wasted. Um, and this time I did it in small segments and checked the audio every time I finished a segment and it looks like we're good. I think it had something to do with just being plugged directly into the computer rather than into the mixer since it's just me recording. So we'll, we'll figure out what that was about. So hopefully all of that lit led to something that was a bit more fun to listen to and involved a lot less confusion than what you maybe would have heard. And hopefully it was worth it for me. So on to our call to action. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Crit. You can visit our website at www.halfwitsfailedcrits.com and reach us via email at halfwitsfailedcrits at gmail.com. If you feel like sending us a tip, we also have a ko-fi at ko-fi.com forward slash halfwitsfailedcrit. And want to give a thank you to Wawobits for the use of our intro theme, Into the Portal. You can find their SoundCloud in our show notes. Also want to give a shout out to Bobby for our outro and any other music you probably heard during the show, just all of it. Hopefully we'll get Bobby a Bandcamp or SoundCloud or something set up so you can go and support him as well. Well, that's it. So we'll see you soon for Children of the Spine Episode 2, Real Boats Rock. See ya. Oh, hi there, everyone. Welcome back so soon. Well, I guess you didn't quite have a choice. I kind of edited this in later. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed the faction turn. And I just wanted to jump in here to announce that we're going to be putting more effort into the show in general, as you've probably already heard. And we really want to start boosting our Ko-Fi and subscriptions and donations and all that good jazz to help keep us enthused for doing this. And we determined that the faction turns were a great way to do that. So going forward, these awesome little sections that you've heard that talk about the greater sector that our players may or may not be involved with are going to be just for people who donate to our Ko-Fi. So we'll get that set up. Um, we'll be get buying Ko-Fi gold so that people can subscribe. And that's how you're going to get future faction turns. So if you really liked listening to what you just listened to and, you know, getting little, essentially, spoiler alerts with, uh, you know, the Estolian technocracy coming and uh, interacting with the the players doing a covert intel mission on the planet Fornhagi, if that's the kind of stuff that you like to hear and know a little bit that our players don't, because I don't tell them about the faction turns, this is a great way for us to thank you for you supporting us financially. Anyways, uh, our Ko-Fi is ko-fi.com forward slash halfwitsfailedcrits, so that's where you're going to be finding Faction Turn content from now on. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate anything you're able to give. Bye. Bye.